Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. War is afoot. I am to inherit the Iron Throne. She will block my way. Hello, and welcome back to Still Watching, the television podcast from Vanity Fair. We cover entire seasons of the hottest shows of television, and right now, we are diving deep into House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel series on HBO. I'm Josh Wiggler, and to discuss House of the Dragon, Episode 7, Sailing With Me for Driftmark, it's Richard Lawson. Richard, how you doing? Uh, good. I have both eyes intact so far, so, you know, that's all you can ask for, really. You know what? Once upon a time, uh, eye stuff was my top phobia, and then I got LASIK sure. earlier this year, and I'm invincible now. Uh, what happened to <laughs> right. poor Raymond, it right. didn't even bother me. I was good. And you can see crimes before they happen, right? That's yes, part that's of how this LASIK. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a precog now. It's pretty good stuff. Richard, Driftmark, that's the episode that we are talking about today, episode seven of House of the Dragon. It's a big one. This is a really, really big episode of the show. It's really big in a way that I didn't see coming at all, because so much of the episode is, which I liked, is a lot of talking and sort of emotion and like characters kind of reconnecting with one another or pushing further apart from one another. And I said, okay, this is just going to be one of those episodes that like, not filler, but but transitional, you know? Right. Uh, and then it was like, oh, no, 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 major, <laughs> major things Humongous are going to happen yeah. uh, involving children, but of course, involving their parents and, you know, in a way that felt very credible to like, you have little kids running around, but like they have life and death, you know, kind of hanging around them at all times because of who they are. 
And I thought that was really tensely, interestingly um, kind of made manifest in this episode. Yeah, I thought that it was uh, it was it was very fair, very fairly rendered that all of these children would be running around Driftmark without any parental supervision. It just felt very fair to the fact that these kids don't exist because their parents wanted to have kids. You know, right. they're they're fuel to the fire. Uh, and so who's watching the kids? Sir Kristen Cole certainly isn't. They are not. Uh, they have no eyes on them. And as a result, Amond is down one eye. That's really big. This is a really big moment from Fire and Blood, the George R. R. Martin book uh, that this is based on that I was really anticipating. The Vagar, claiming Vagar is just such a huge scene and beyond. Um, but there's also some really interesting book stuff to talk about that I couldn't have seen coming. Richard, this one ends with a huge swerve for the book reading crowd mm. with this final scene with Lenor's death in quotation marks. Um this is a huge, huge twist, a huge swing away from from Martin's material. So I think that the the book reading crowd is probably lit having watched this episode. Yeah, I wondered about that because that would suggest something of a happier ending for a character who like normally in Martin land does not have that kind of happy ending. So, I mean, I don't know that Lena is out, you know, for the count, but like, you know, you expect the most brutal thing to happen. And then at the very end of the episode, they're like, well, no, actually... And so that did feel to me maybe like an invention for the show. Yeah, there were a few ways in which they they played with us in that final uh, yeah. that final sequence. Uh, there's a lot of different interpretations of in the book what happens to to Lenor. Though there seems to be like no question that Lenor is killed uh, in this manner by Carl. Uh, but the questions are about who did it, who ordered the hit. Uh, Damon is a popular candidate. Nowhere does Rhaenyra Targaryen's name appear on the list of culprits. So there's this moment for me, Richard, watching the end of the episode being like, oh, my God, they're going to have Rhaenyra be the one who shot called this. This is we're going to we're going to have a whole lot of discourse coming out of this episode. Uh, and then there's this other twist at the end where, no, he's alive. They've uh, yeah. they've faked his death. They've smuggled him out. They've cleared the way for Damon to marry Rhaenyra. And yeah, as far as it goes in Westeros right now, at least, Richard, this is like the happiest ending any character yeah. has received. Especially given the scene that where, where a, a, a penitent Lenor comes to her and is like, I've failed. I couldn't protect my sister. I'm not protecting you and our children. I'm going to give up my, you know, merry gay life on the sea and just be here for you. And she hears that and seems to absorb it. But then at the end, you're like, oh, no, she gave him the other option. Right. Because he said, I can't do both. I can't, yeah. you know, we can't do what we said we would when we were kids, that we would have our own little side pieces and then, but still be together. And I think that, like, it's such an interesting character development for Rhaenyra where it's like she did the kind thing, but also the strategic thing. You know, I think she would get my jury vote. Sorry, I'm still binging Survivor. Listen, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here for your journey. Uh, I, I, I really liked it. I, th I thought that it worked really well. I think it's going to be controversial with the book readers for sure, but I'm curious to get their takes too. We would love to hear from you. Still watching pod at gmail.com. That's our email address. If you got any feedback that you want to send in, or the podcast that's still watching pod at gmail.com. I'm excited. Lanor is a huge wild card on the board now. We'll talk it through as we get deeper into the episode. We'll recap it scene by scene as we always do here on Still Watching with House of the Dragon. But first, we'll take a quick moment for this break. We will be back on the other side. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, 
based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, Richard, let's talk through Driftmark. Do we need to get out ahead of this? This isn't a bottle episode. Uh, this is a ship in a bottle episode, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it, the fact that it's all contained in this one location does give it some sense of individuality from the rest of the episodes that have preceded it up to this point. I think maybe one of my takes coming out of this, I'd be curious for yours, is I feel like this is one of the clearest episodes of House of the Dragon so far. Just feels like it really knows what it is and what it wants to be. And having it in this one central location with all parties descending upon one space really adds to that uh, that idea. Yeah, this feels in, in some ways like the show tapping into its uh, sibling series, uh, Succession where each episode of that show usually is like in a different location and right. characters all kind of occupying something of the same space, negotiating something, you know, and, and this episode is certainly the beginning when they're all at the funeral for Lena and, um, you know, there are charged looks across the crowd, you know, and people kind of having little side conversations. Um, I thought that was so well balanced and, and, um, you know, was a testament to like what we talked about last week, which was like, I'm glad we've known some of these characters since they were basically kids because it just gives it that much more depth when when you see them interacting as now very, very fraught uh, adults. To the succession of it all, should we have called this one too much funeral? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. 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 I think that might have worked. Um, we do begin with the funeral of Lady Lena. This is the occasion why everybody is here. She is being committed to the eternal waters uh, and... We see all of these various people have gathered here from from all sides of the aisle. Obviously, Damon and his children with Lena are both here. Both uh, Bela and Reyna are are here with him. We see that Rhaenyra and her children are here as well. Um, although at least Jace, uh, her oldest son, wishes that they were at Harrenhal uh, mourning uh, the loss of his birth father. He should not be talking about this, is what yep. Rhaenyra is going to be telling him in just a few moments. And we also see that the king's side of the equation, Alicent, their kids together are here with, I thought, a, a really um, just very casual reveal that not only is Otto Hightower back in the mix, Richard, he's back and he is the hand of the king. You see the pin yeah. on his chest and uh, we don't need to know anything else. We're just back to, you know, we're all out of ideas, I guess. Let's just get the old hand back in business. Feels like a very Viserys move, you know. <laughs> he doesn't really stick to his his convictions. Well, he does some of them, but like, you know, it makes sense that he'd be like, no, just bring it back. It's fine. It's fine. You know, uh, I don't want to have to think about someone else. No. 
Um, so there's this uh, this this funeral passage that is uh, being performed by Vaymond Valerion. He is uh, the Sea Snake's brother. We saw him having some friction with Corlys back during the Stepstones War. And here he is really giving a look at Rhaenyra's family and looking specifically at the at the children as he's saying salt courses through Valerian blood. Ours runs thick. Ours runs true, and ours must never thin. And he's just locked eyes on that corner uh, of the of the of the area. And this is going to be a big recurring theme throughout the episode. Obviously, just like setting up really early on where we are going with the big claim of these children being bastards and what that might mean for the realm, and certainly what it means for the friction within the family. Yeah, and you know, there's a part of me that's wondering, like, okay, well. You know, this is such a TV conceit. Like, obviously, this would have been talked. Why is it just being spoken about now? But I think enough has kind of changed in these people's world that all of a sudden it feels like, you know, let's just like be on, let's be out in the open with all of these things that we've known. I, I get I feel the sense of like why this is happening in the present tense of the show rather than it feeling like a dramatic kind of, you know, gimmick or device or something like yeah. something has changed in this family, this community that now makes it sort of okay to be like, those are definitely not his kids. Yeah. I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of really great character work all throughout this episode, but this scene specifically, uh, Damon, you know, sort of just laughs when he hears Vayman saying all of this stuff, because he knows, uh, and he can, he can barely contain the fact that we're at my wife's funeral and we're already getting into this. Uh, you know, it's just like this sort of, Daniel Craig, Road to Perdition, it's also effing hysterical uh, vibe to him in this moment. Um, Aegon looks so bored. This person who half of the realm thinks should be the king of the Seven Kingdoms could not look less enthused to be here uh, at the at the funeral. Poor Jace is so sad because his father is gone. And Lainor is looking really, really wrecked as well. For somebody who is going to have such an important role in the final moments of this episode, Richard... I think the absence of Lane or throughout a lot of this is a big part of the point. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's obviously directly grieving his sister, but also just like, what is this life that I'm stuck in? Is this going to keep happening? It's, I think that we saw that sort of similar sentiment in Viserys where he's just like, we, can we please just stop all of this like scrambling and fighting and all that? And I think that Lainor is feeling something akin to that, you know, yeah. um, especially because he's living this really big, well, two kind of big lies about his kids and about his sexuality and um, you feel for him. You do. And that's why by the end, you're like, oh, my God, she's good. She's really that ruthless. And then she kind of isn't. So I appreciated yeah. that. And I think this this episode is very humane to Lenor while also, you know, noticing his uh, his poor strategy, let's say. Yeah. Um, so after the service is what is this? Is this it's not cocktail hour. Uh, I don't know that you have cocktail hour at a funeral. I don't. It's been a minute, I guess, since I've been to a funeral. Uh, but there is this this period of all these people talking to each other, and there's lots of various conversations, Richard, that uh, that we're going to be crawling through. Uh, so a lot of different places that we can we can start. Um, we begin with Rhaenyra and Jace. He is the one saying uh, she's trying to tell him, "Go to your cousins; they need you right now." He's saying that we have an equal claim to sympathy. We should be in Heron Hall, and Rhaenyra really instills in him. It's not appropriate to say that. We have to hold tight. Do you understand what I am trying to tell you? Yeah, yet again, you know, uh, s- some people just really need to, <laughs> to hear these truths because it's now getting very, very serious. And I think maybe this is the real turning point where everyone starts to see exactly how high the stakes are, adult and children alike. Uh, more with the children. This is with Amond and Aegon. 
They are watching from sort of the outskirts as their sister, Helena, is once again playing with bugs, uh, playing with spiders. And through the dialogue, we are learning that it seems that Aegon and Helena, uh, brother and sister in the Targaryen tradition, are being betrothed to one another. And Aegon is not thrilled about it. Yeah, but not really because it's his sister. <laughs> right. It's just about her specifically. Yes. Uh, which, you know, I guess is yet another window into the Targaryen mindset. Um, yeah, I'm curious what they're going to do with this Helena character because we, we've we seen this bug stuff. And I don't know if that's just like a little character detail they're throwing in just to, I don't know, add a little texture. Or if there's something about her her lonerness, her, her, her curiosity about things um, like this that is going to come to bear in the future. Well, I think we can already turn the page back to last week's episode and talk about something that really stood out to me uh, because it happens in this episode. Eamon is with Alicent and with Helena after the pink dread incident, the flying pig. Uh, and he's bemoaning the fact that he does not have a dragon. And Alicent says to Eamon, you'll have a dragon someday. And Helena, as an aside, almost to herself says, he'll have to close an eye. Um, right. So she may be a Targaryen dreamer, I think, is the insinuation there. Uh, she uh-huh. may have this gift that Viserys has spoken about. Right. Have we met another Targaryen who has that? Or is that just kind of something talked about in the like the lore? Um, not confirmed on the show. Uh, that comes to mind for me. Um, okay. I think and, and there uh, wasn't we- one in, in Game of Thrones, right? No, I don't think... Uh, well, Daenerys, it's possible, right? Because right. she does have that House of the Undying sequence at the end of season two, and she sees mm-hmm. uh, snow in the Red Keep, which we'll see again as another image in the series finale of Game of Thrones. As it's actually like nuclear ash, uh, you know, nuclear winter in, in King's Landing. So there's an argument for Daenerys, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, first one on Fire and Blood, or on House of the Dragon, rather, uh, as it currently stands. So this is interesting, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, Helena yeah. is an important character to be looking at. Okay, cool. Yeah, we want to pay attention to what she's got going on. Um, we see Kristen. He's with Alicent. And in the periphery is Laris. Uh, Laris Clubfoot. He is just lurking through much of this episode, Richard. He's just waiting to be called on. You know, he's got his hand in the air the entire time. Allison's just giving her lecture to the class and trying as hard as she can to not have to call on the one person who's holding their hand. That's Laris right now. He wants to be acknowledged for what he has done to pave the way for Otto to become Hand of the King. And he also, I think, wants to, in some way, assert to Allison, like, I know that you didn't expressly ask for that to happen to my family, but like, I could very easily say that you did, yes. you know, and, and he has power over her despite her outranking him significantly, you know, um, and I think that's an interesting tension that also complicates the fact that Allison is, you know, very secretly, um, a sh- you know, sort of guilt ridden toward Rhaenyra about what she did uh, or, or, you know, let happen or whatever to, to Harwin and his father. Um, but then later, you know, that 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 guilt turns right back to anger. Um, so we are going to see, uh, Lord Corliss with Luke, uh, and he's trying to tell Luke, well, I'm glad you're here at Driftmark. Look around. Uh, your brother is going to be the king of Westeros someday, but you'll be Lord of the Tides. That's a pretty cool job. Driftmark's great. And Luke doesn't want it. He wants nothing to do with it. And I thought that the reasons why were very sad, but also very sweet in a way. He tells the sea snake, if I'm the Lord of Driftmark, it means everyone's dead. What a what a thing to to place on these children! Like from the minute they're born, like all you talk about is like what you'll do 
once I, you know, your parents are gone and your whoever else is gone. Like it's, it's such a morbid, you know, thing. And I, I think I'm glad that the show, especially in this episode took time to be like, how would this impact young people? How would it change the way they think about things? And, and, and clearly it leads to the fact that like, these are, you know, tweens or younger who are wielding stones and knives at each mm-hmm. other. You know, they, yeah. they are very serious kids because that's how they've been raised. Yeah. Um, I think it's especially sad. I think you're right that we had those first five episodes that showed us Rhaenyra and Allison as kids growing up in this world. And now here we are 10 years down the line into their adulthood, pushing into 30 and their children are being given just about as much choice as they were given themselves. Uh, so yeah. there's, you know, really bitter, cruel irony to all of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, hurt people, hurt people, cycles yep. of abuse, you know, and I think you see that cycle also in, in the Rhaenyra Damon stuff. It's like, you know, he, he acknowledges that when they first had whatever it was that she was a child you were a child and, yeah and 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 now but see Renair is still you know asking for it you know like wants to be with him and you know that is something that happened occurs in the real world you know where people are sort of linked to their abusers uh for the rest of their lives and it's you know i, I i'm glad that the show is at least kind of acknowledging that dynamic even if they're not yet anyway exploring it to its full extent I think, uh, you know, sort of similar and consistent with what we're talking about with um, the, the next generation specifically and, and how the old generation's conflicts are, are, are trickling down to them. There's this moment where uh, Rainey's comes and sort of bypasses Jace and just hugs her granddaughters. She's going to make clear uh, later on in this episode maybe why she feels closer to them than she does to Jace. Um, but there's this moment when Jace is kind of alone and he is not being consoled by anybody. And he at least knows that he has also just lost his father. That Aemond Targaryen, who is going to come to claim the dragon Vagar, he kind of steps up and just looks at him and has a moment where he could say something, but he doesn't. And then he walks away. I thought that that was, that was a really interesting look at these two kids and just the kids of these people, the kids of these parents, of these royals who are feuding over the throne or feuding over power just what could be done with a simple i'm sorry uh i'm sorry for your loss my condolences and uh of course like that responsibility should not be laid at the feet of these children but i think that that moment sort of being like squeezed out to these kids uh i think laid a lot of the themes of the episode uh out on its back yeah yeah you get the sense of like you know some some sort of generational hope like okay maybe the children will break some of the bad habits or bad cycles but like how how could you know it's so hard for anyone to extend any genuine empathy it always has to be sort of careful and thought through and strategic and whatever um and if anyone else in this world the kids should at least be able to just be kind of openly in you know with each other or friends and, and 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 consoling or whatever um they shouldn't have to worry about all this stuff and yet they do so you kind of get the sense like this is never gonna break until it really breaks and uh, maybe that's what this show is about i don't know it's interesting to frame this with the conversation between viserys and daemon uh it feels like it's been a very long time since these two have been around each other since these two have occupied the same space since they've had anything resembling a civil conversation and viserys is trying to be the bigger man here uh and say like you know we've had our differences let them pass with the years you have a place at my court if there's something you should need uh, and the last time he made a gesture like this, Richard, Damon uh, almost slaughtered an entire army. So I guess we should just be happy that he just walks off instead of goes out and tries to solo right. the crab feeder again. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about this, because I this is the first episode where because we were wondering last week, OK, now that Damon's whole storyline with Lena has sort of ended, he's coming back from Pentos, uh, at least temporarily. Like, what is his where is his character going to fit back in? And, and, and watching this episode, I think this is the first time I've really seen Damon. It's like, I don't think he really has a strategy yet, you know. And and I think when that maybe that's why he kind of walks away from his brother and, and, and doesn't it doesn't turn into a big fight because I don't think Damon knows which way he wants to move. Did you read it that way? So I think the way that I'm reading Damon um, right now and then the end of the episode kind of turns this on his head. It's like yeah. This is the guy who took his shot. You know, he he right. ha- he, he made some moves 10 years ago uh, to potentially pivot himself towards the throne to maybe angle himself towards this position of power. Um, and for a variety of reasons, it did not go the way that he wanted it to go. Uh, you know, it didn't work out with Rhaenyra, and then his spot is blown up, and King Viserys is, uh, you know, going to have Damon on his back, and he's going to kick him out of his court, and Rhaenyra and Laenor get married, and there's no longer the path. And I think between that and whatever amount of happiness he was authentically able to find in his life with Lena and with his two kids, away from Westeros, away from the game... I think it's like the, you know, this is not happening for me. It's kind of similar to the queen who never was uh, in some ways where Rain is like, I put that away a long time ago. You're the one who's focused on this. I know it's not happening. It's never going to happen for me. And we're just endangering other people by continuing this foolish pursuit of something that I can never wear this crown. Uh, And I think that there is like not quite as self-aware version of that happening with Damon. Well, yeah. And there's also the the, the web exclusive that's... um damon and lena's interview with oprah in montecito when they've uh-huh. just, since they've decided to leave the kingdom you know right yeah um, which people should watch because it really does you know it tells a you a lot it tells yeah. you a lot yeah. uh very very big uh very big information revealed in that secret scene um rainier is going to walk off after damon once damon um walks off himself uh there's this moment with otto and damon i missed the lines that were exchanged between the two of them the gist of it that i got is these guys still hate each other quite a bit uh so uh if there was more to it than that i don't know that i caught it but i think right. that i probably caught just enough um this was sad viserys everybody's starting to go to bed the sun's going sun's getting real low uh everybody's getting getting tired ready to go to sleep except for Amond, who's sneaking away and damon and renair who are also sneaking away and viserys is going to uh be one of the first people to exit and he turns to allison and he says I'm going to bed, Emma. And it's awkward. Yeah. Yeah. That's awkward. That's yeah. tough. Yeah. Um, this is very to, much you, still living in that trauma, clearly. Uh, clearly. And you really like, I mean, look, the age difference between Allison and Viserys has been palpably, uh, you know, present uh, since the beginning of the show. But like, you really feel it here where it's like now she's just married to like an old like falling apart man you know right. and and all of the little injustices of that like i'm sure that's that's part of the equation in terms of why you're, you're like why did she do what she does toward the end of the episode it's like she's just been sitting on these sort of resentments and like slights and all this stuff for so long that um she needed to to break free of it i guess for at least if only for a second yeah uh, there was a, a really uh, fun line i thought it was it was it was mean but i thought that it was good between damon and viserys of uh, Viserys telling Damon the gods can be cruel as sort of his condolence. Damon saying, eh, they've been especially cruel to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. siblings, you know, you can get away with some stuff. 
so night falls. Um, Otto is going to retrieve Aegon, who's just getting drunk in the corner. Carl is doing the same for Lenor. And somewhere off in the distance, Vagar, the oldest living dragon in the known world, is roaring and Aemond can hear it. And he slips off unnoticed to be continued on Aemond Targaryen. Yeah, I think that the, the Targaryen boy stuff in this episode, obviously, uh, Aemond is the big the big player in the episode. But I think the Aegon thing, this is we saw him, you know, uh, pleasuring himself in a window. You know, we got we have some he being, he, we saw him being a jerk in, in like, the, you know, down in the dragon pits. Um, but this episode is like, oh, he's really just kind of a mess. Like he he's just maybe having a teenage rebellion. Maybe he's just kind of given up on on trying to play the game, quote unquote. Um, but I think that we learn a lot about him in this episode, along with Aemond, which um, I'm, I'm sure uh, will be, you know, further, further developed. But um, yeah, he's he just seems to be one of those like bad, messy princes who, you know, <laughs> doesn't toe the family line at all. A classic Game of Thrones type, for yeah, sure. Exactly. Um, so we have this conversation between uh, Rhaenys and Corlys uh, in the wake of losing their daughter and, and where they stand with everything now. Uh, and there's, you know, a little bit of the blame game going around of this is Damon's fault. Our daughter wanted to come back here. He kept them in Penthos. Uh, you know, the sea snake is trying to, their doctors are just as good as ours. We can't blame this on on Damon. It's an it's an act of the gods. Uh, and Rainus suggests that perhaps then the gods have scorned us for our act of pride. Um, and we're getting, a, you know, a repetition of a conversation between them we have seen before where she has said, you're the one who cares about this. I don't care about this anymore. All that you really care about, it's not even about justice for me. It's about your ambition, your desire mm-hmm. for the throne, your own legacy. And finally, the sea snake kind of reacts honestly to this of, well, what is life if not the pursuit of legacy? Right. Right. Which, like, almost makes sense, but not necessarily in this context. It's like, it's not worth the death of, you know, putting people at such moral risk all the time. And um, I think it's interesting that that Rhaenys is kind of almost like you could see her as a kind of mirror of Damon in some ways where it's like, these are people who are like, no, we had our, as you said, we shot our shot. It didn't work. Like, let's give up before this gets worse because we know it's going to get worse. And um, it just feels like a big inflection point where some, some characters are like just about to, you know, kind of opt out in a way um, because they see what's coming and they know it's going to be bad. Um, you know, the, they're, they're turning away from the storm, you know, whatever they're, they're right. making that choice. Um, but you know, you just know that with the kind of momentum and inertia of this show that, that it's not going to work, you know, whether they, whether or not they want to, they're going to be dragged into it. Yeah. They're too close to it at this point. Yeah. Um, and Way too Rainus, late to, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, definitely. Rainus is going to say that she, um, when, when all is said and done, that she wants Driftmark to pass through Lena's line. She wants it to go to Bela. Uh, which she is a is big a tr- move. So she's yes. still kind of in the game. I mean, that's, that's a big thing. Yeah, this is not insignificant. I mean, I think what she is saying to to Corliss is like, she's like, it's just us in here. You know, there's no one else in the room. Um, we could talk about this. Those kids, your grandchildren are not Lenors, um, but your granddaughters are. And the, they are Lena's legacy. And the sea snake has uh, this very, you know, George R. R. Martin, you know, it, very like straight pulled from A Song of Ice and Fire, it feels like. But I don't think that it is actual dialogue from Fire and Blood. He says history does not remember blood; it remembers names. Uh, mm-hmm. And he pulls his hand away from his wife, so he's making it pretty clear what his intentions are. 
it might be kind of a like a, a historical, but it's my understanding that you know the Romanov family, like the the czars of Russia, that actually that bloodline broke like generations before the Bolshevik Re- Revolution because one of the one of the the czars was so inbred that he was infertile, and so his wife like was impregnated by somebody else and so like the romanov line ended way before but we still know that family name you know right so right. i think that's kind of what the sea snake is saying he's like it doesn't really matter in in like the, the the fullness of history like no one will really know who was the parent it's just about like what was their last name well it, it mirrors what uh what viserys was saying uh shortly before the big time jump when he was in the bath on the eve of rainier and Lenor's wedding of what what songs will they sing of me a hundred years from now? Uh, will mm-hmm. they think of me as a good king? This obsession with what will they say about me in the future when I've been dead and gone for decades and decades and decades? This obsession that is leaving them in a, unable to to live in this moment and to like take care of what's right in front of them. Yeah, yeah, couldn't be me to be honest. I'm <laughs> just not that ambitious. I guess I really just care about where am I getting my nice next slice of pizza. You know, right. uh, yeah, you know, exactly. one, one foot in front of the other. Which is just... why we both live in New York is, is yeah, so, to ensure right. yeah. proximity to that. <laughs> Pretty sure. Um, so let's go with Rhaenyra and Damon. Uh, a very big scene between the two of them uh, that much of the show has been building towards at this point. The consummation of uh, of their relationship here. Richard, as uh, much time has passed between these two, they have a lot to catch each other up on. Yeah, I, 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 I it was interesting hearing Rhaenyra kind of lay it out so plainly about the, about the how like the Lenore situation isn't working out. You know, right? Um, like that felt refreshing because I'm sure she has not been able to say that to anybody. I mean, I mean, obviously Harwin to some extent, but like he's gone now, and you know, I, 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 I I'm, I'm still a little bit struggling with like how the show, like they recognize the fact that like when this first happened that Rhaenyra was you know not of consenting age by any means and certainly was manipulated into it um so I ha- I'm not sure how to really view the framing of these scenes with her and Damon I also don't really know how to read um you know because at one point Damon was kind of using her strategically and it's like now it feels different or is he still like how cold are we supposed to be reading him here I think that that's a really good question. And I think that the show has left him very intentionally vague uh, for us to, you know, connect the dots how we want to connect the dots. There was this um, uh, this actual deleted scene, apparently, from last week where he was seen hugging his children after the death of their mother, after the death of his wife. And that was excluded from the episode. Mm. And it feels like, man, I kind of want to like, if you want me to feel like he's a human being, I kind of would love for you to give me a human moment from Damon Targaryen. And it makes me feel like maybe you don't necessarily want me to feel that way. Maybe you want to leave that choice to me and you want to hold all of that back so that I can make my decisions based on um, sort of these neutral uh, observations of, of Damon and, and his behavior. I think yeah. for Rhaenyra, the question, the question is on my mind too, of how much is this like, I've I've missed you, Uncle. Let us let us wed. Uh, you know, which is gosh. Um, or is it is it strategic for her as well? Um, certainly by the end of it, the strategy is very clear. By the end of the episode, the two of them are talking about a final two deal. Um, but how much is that like a marriage of convenience versus a Boston Robin Amber Richard to really go into <laughs> it? You know, like is yeah. this something yeah. where like they're falling in love on the island and this is gonna be OTP forever? Or is this something that is just about the game? I think that these are the questions that are worth asking right now. Yeah, and 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 I think that what this what this episode does well is it shows how complicated it is, and it's like it's both. 
you know, like for someone like Rhaenyra, like she obviously is thinking strategically, but she's also like, I'm lonely. And yeah. like, you're the only person, you know, she's not really recognizing abuse for what it was, but she's like, but to her mind, he's the only person who she's ever really fully connected to in a way that felt, you know, beyond sort of her station in, in this world, beyond her sort of purpose in the world. As a human being, she feels a connection to him. And that is very rare in her life. Um, and, you know, so, so yes, it is a, a marriage of convenience to some extent, but it's also um, something that she feels she needs. Uh, so the two of them will uh, spend the night together. Uh, I am no longer a child, she says, as she makes the move on him. Uh, I have, I'm no longer a child, but I'm still your niece in my house. <laughs> right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and, you know, it does, did it seem a little brazen to me that they would just, like, shack up on the beach for the night and, like, you know, wouldn't someone be aware that that was happening? But I sure, guess at this but, point they uh, don't really care. Uh, yeah, who are they if not brazen? You know, right. uh, they are the they are the blood of the dragon. Let us not forget. So uh, I think a lot of brazen moves from these two over the course of these uh, seven episodes we've gotten so far. This might be among the most brazen. Um, so now we get into this extended sequence of Aemon Targaryen, the only one of his siblings to not have claimed a dragon yet is going to go out on a limb and claim the biggest dragon of them all. Uh, the recently vacated Vagar the dragon, uh, Vagar she of the three original dragons that came as part of Aegon's conquest, uh, was, uh, I believe it was Visenya, was the sister of Aegon who rode on Vagar initially, and she has a pretty nasty reputation, uh, as history remembers her. Uh, so Aemond is coming to claim this dragon as his own, and I would love to get your take on this, Richard, because I knew the outcome here. I knew where this was going to go. That was very exciting for me to finally get this moment adapted. But for you, especially when Vagar starts, you know, roaring up some fire, mm-hmm. how did you think this was going to play out? Well, I had the feeling that this episode was going to be some sort of variation on the slap, you know, that show where like <laughs> one yes. thing involving right. a child, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. sp- sends families into, you know, so I, I, I knew feel something. Like Zachary Quinto with a Targaryen wig would be pretty good. I, I maybe next season. Yeah. Um, or Tony Collette. Um, yes. I think she was in the Australian version, but um, I, I, so I was like, okay, something's going to happen. Is it going to be that this kid dies right now? And somehow that gets blamed on who, you know, who, you know, whatever. Um, and I was kind of bracing myself for it. And I was glad that they didn't because it makes it so much more interesting that now this power of this dragon has shifted um, to this rash, impetuous kid who is by family line aligned with one, the green, you know, one side of things, um, the greens, I guess. Um, and so now that, you know, it, it, it just it complicates the, dynam- the dynamic so much more than it would if he had just, you know, been sort of unceremoniously killed off. Yeah, I think uh, it's 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 obviously a very important moment for the Greens, as you put them, and as Rhaenyra will call them, and as they are known in Fire and Blood. That was cool to hear on the show. Um, but it's it's just such a I don't know. It was it was it was sort of odd because of everything that comes next, and me knowing that what was coming next was coming next. That this is sort of played like it's like a Treyu riding Falcor all over Fantasia. Like there is this bit of a joyride quality to Aemon uh, flying on on Vagar, and yet it's, of course, going to be grounded back down into reality with the Game of Thrones of it all. Like, let's not right. forget what show we're watching. This can only end one way. Uh, like, some kid has to be hurt here. This kid will be hurt here. He just won't be hurt the way that the show is setting you up to expect. 
Yeah, and if Atreyu had like a glimmer of evil in him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like 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 this kid is not. I don't think. But but you know, this episode is so much about the younger generations kind of stepping up to the next kind of phase of this whole process, and Aegon has chosen the route of being a skirt chasing, you know, boozer, you know, right. and like okay, that was his, and then here's the kind of meeker younger brother who's been mocked, who who he he is now asserting himself as like I'm going to be this dominant force in this family at least for right now uh, of my generation, and yeah. um, you know, it has bad results for him in the short term. But like as he says, he's like, "Well, I'm lost. I lost an eye, but I gained a dragon." And he knows that in the Fair long term, that's much bigger. You know, good deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yet another second son here, and I think the dynamics between Aemond and Aegon not dissimilar from Daemon and Viserys. Uh, I think yeah. uh, you know, you just rearrange. You literally just carve that D off, put it at the top. You get Aemond goes to Daemon very, very easily. That's so, right. Uh, I think uh, some some very clear connections between those two characters. I really loved the way that they rendered Vagar, I have to say. You know, we haven't spent a ton of time talking about the individuality of the dragons. The show hasn't spent a, a ton of time with the dragons either, especially for a show called House of the Dragon. But Vagar, there's this one, there's this one moment where Vagar, she's raking across the moon. Uh, you see it from like the perspective of the ocean. You can feel the beating of those leathered wings. It's just, it was a really cool sequence. Uh, one of my favorite dragon sequences across the franchise so far. I really loved it. I was very happy with how they did this one. And they're like uh, holes in the wings. Like, like this is a, this is a well yeah. dragon, you know, like this is, this dragon has seen some stuff and yeah, I, I think sometimes I, I, the, the, the CGI of the dragons looks a little too CGI for me, but I thought totally. in these, in these sequences, like you really felt the sort of, the kind of ambivalence of this creature, like, yeah, I'll kind of, I'll listen to the old words and I'll, you know, I'll kind of let you ride me. But like, I'm also not going to really think if you can stay on my back, you know, right. like I'm still an animal. And, and, um, I think that the, the, the sort of awe of them, but also the sort of terror of those things, like is really potently felt. And yes, you'd have to be a pretty brave or maybe crazy kid to even attempt something like that. So, uh, I guess the people who can ride the dragons have certainly earned it. Yeah, it does feel like Vagar is kind of like, okay, you want to claim me? Well, then yeah. you got to survive the ride. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Eight, eight, just eight seconds, ride. you know, in, yes. in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> just hold on. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had some feedback uh, for this episode, actually, from, uh, from many of the listeners out there. Uh, thank you for writing in. Uh, this came our way from Lynn that I thought would be appropriate to bring in now. Um, Lynn had written in and said, I apologize if you've covered this and I missed it, but. Do we know what the lifespan of a dragon is? I'm thinking about how the dragons disappeared between this time period and Game of Thrones. Um, Richard, that's not something that we have talked about a ton. Um, the only record, I believe, of a dragon dying uh, of natural causes is Balon, the Black Dread, uh, the skull of which we have seen uh, many times across both of these two shows who died naturally of old age around 200 years old. Uh, so that is okay. about how old it seems like the dragons can live. Yeah. And a lot of them smoke. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So they have, they have a hard time, uh, yeah. you know, but they still look surprisingly youthful. Uh, I'm impressed about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think the show has been, I was worried based on the title and the, the opening shot of this, of the season that like, this was going to be like dragon Palooza, but I think they've un- used them with restraint and 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 kind of built to this big grand moment with one of these creatures like pretty effectively so let's go to the confrontation uh sadly not a music number 
as Aemon is going to return from Vagar and uh, Bela and Reyna. They've woken up Jace and Luke. Someone stole Vagar, and they come and they collide, and it is uh, hell breaking loose very, very, very quickly. It's it's really nasty immediately. It's like Aemon hopped off of that dragon, and this kid who seemed capable of some empathy earlier in the episode, maybe he had this almost moment with Jace. Instead, it's like that adrenaline of coming off of this huge quest, this this huge shot in the dark that he was able to su- succeed on. He comes in, he's like, yeah, your mother's dead. He's mine now. Uh, maybe your cousins can find you a pig to ride. Uh, and immediately, it's just, it's so brutal. It's so savage. Like, to call this, like, you know, like, the playground unchecked uh, is really not doing justice to the severity of how, how, how dangerous this gets, how quickly. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and then he says the stuff about the Bast, you know the kids being mm-hmm. bastards and oh you know, and your he, brother doesn't know does he lord strong yeah right and and you know i guess aemon feels like i there's no need for decorum anymore you know like i have a fucking dragon mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? so yeah what are you gonna do to me i've got um, the fucking dragon too right, on top yeah, of it yeah yeah exactly and um you know he had we have seen him being made fun of so there you know there it's some of that anger is, is justified you know um not necessarily toward lena's kids but like um it, yeah i mean i think this is the emergence of a major character you know um one who now befitting of you know uh Tyrion's and richard the third's before has some kind of deformity or disability um you know that's been now kind of given to him and kind of earned in a way um so i think you know as a sort of dramatic trope uh it's we're being told who this aemon character is finally i think yeah um, he does earn this injury over the course of this fight. You know, it's first it's just pushing around and punching and kicking and then rocks are involved. As you observed, a knife is drawn. Luke is going to grab it just as it seems like Aemon is going to beat Jace to death with a rock. Uh, and uh, Jace is going to flick dirt in his eye. And you think that's the worst thing that'll happen to Aemon's eye until Luke shows up with the knife and slices him across the face. And then the King's Guard show up just in time. <laughs> Look, these guys aren't babysitters, you know. They've got they've got more important stuff to do. Um, yeah. Where the... Kristen says, like, you've never had to protect a prince from another prince, my lady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really I mean, hard work. Yeah, these guys are very Keystone cops. They're kind of kind of bumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and obviously, like, uh, you know, that's going to have consequences. I'm assuming. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's the kids in the room, and now it's the kids and the adults in the room, and this is another huge scene in this episode where. So much of what we have uh, been watching, Richard, Uh, so much of the drama that has been unfolding over the course of these first seven episodes spills out into blood for the first time between Rhaenyra and Alicent. uh, As uh, we do have this question of what happened? How did we get here? How did this happen on anybody's watch? And it's really Viserys, you know, very King Lear in the middle, just like completely unclear as to how any of this around him could have been done. Yeah, it's a wake up moment that he then swats away pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, like he's like, he's like, oh, I see. And everyone in this room, and there's a lot of people in that room for some reason. Uh, he's like, everyone has admitted this thing to themselves. Because they each all other. went to bed too early. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. <know>. It couldn't <laughs> exactly. stay asleep. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then, but then just by the end of the scene, Viserys is like, oh, anyway, we're st- it's done. Like, you know, he, he, he once again retreats into that kind of willful ignorance that um, is kind of the hallmark of his character. It's because he's tired. You know, he's so yeah. old and he, he has fallen so far apart that he, if he ever possessed this backbone, and that's a question, um, if he had ever possessed it, 
he just does not have that anymore. It's withered away. And so even in the face of all of this, um, you know, he's trying to draw out from Amond, who told you about this this ugly rumor about these kids and their parentage? And Rhaenyra is even, you know, brazenly putting that out into the room, saying he he questioned my children's father. Uh, he he called them bastards. That's high treason. They're in line for the throne. Aemon should be sharply questioned over this. Uh, and when Viserys is able to push it out of Aemon, uh, much to Alicent's chagrin, Alicent is feeling like she's once again being just completely dismissed. Um, Aemon is going to point to Aegon, to his brother, and say, I heard it from him. And Aegon doesn't even try to hide it uh, when Viserys says, who told you? He says, we know. Just look. Just yeah. look. Yeah. And it's what everybody's been trying to tell Viserys on a bunch of different matters uh, for this whole show. Just look. Just use your eyes. So there's a moment when Aemon looks to his mother uh, when, when Viserys is questioning about who told him. Are we to understand that as it being clear that that Alicent has told him, or is he looking to her to be like, do I, do I tell who told, you know, like I, I, that look right. seemed very charged and I wasn't really sure how to kind of read it. Well, he's the one eye. So he's just really focused in, right, I think right, is, right, is right, a big right. piece of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think, I think it could be both things. Uh, I think that there's, there's one version of interpreting that where, um, Alicent told him and he doesn't want to rat her out. Cause that right. could be very, very, very bad. And what's, what's the King going to do? Kill his brother, you know, like kill my, like kill your son. Like you're not going to do that, but you might execute your wife. Uh, yeah. you could, you could go there. Um, but I think there's also a world where it's like, is he taking marching orders from Allison? Is he now like, I'm in the war. Like I'm in the game right. now and she's the general and I'm her lieutenant. So I'm looking for her for my next move. Right. And regardless, I think Viserys clocks the look, you know, he's yeah. like, oh, I see you boys are aligned to your mother, not to your father, you know? Yes. And, and that's a, that feels like a crucial thing that, you know, was first announced with the green dress and it's now really in motion where he's like, I, this is, this is going to be fought whether I'm here or not, you know? Yeah. And uh, because my sons aren't going to listen to me. Nope. Um, so Viserys wants all of this to end. Your father, your grandsire, your king demands an end to this infighting. And Alicent says, no, no. Uh, apologies, we're past that. We need to make, we need to make ourselves whole here. Uh, and Viserys says, I can't restore his eye. What would you have me do? And Alicent says, well, we could just take one of theirs, right? Uh, Kristen, go get me Luke's eye. And this is a huge, like... The air is sucked out of the room uh, in this moment, this eye for an eye moment that, again, another one a lot of people were really anticipating. Yeah, um, it's I don't know. I, I, I Allison, that that's a that's a big leap for her, you know, and I wasn't sure if that felt like kind of the, the writers kind of forcing that drama. But but it does it does kind of make sense where she's like, at, this is I'm at some point I'm going to have to make my position known. And like, I'm also like in blind rage about my. Uh, my son right now yeah, and so like him, right. might, might as well now might, might as well kind of just put it on the table and be like I am uh, Rainier and I are diametrically opposed to one another and like there's no reconciling that except through you know a very harsh kind of justice yeah well I think Viserys consistently constantly siding with Rainier on all of this and I think Allison's still holding on to that final betrayal in her friendship with Rhaenyra 10 years earlier that has led to so much of this, um, you know, the, the inability to, for the two of them to be able to have a conversation to work it out. And now here we are all these years later, she says it right when she takes the knife 
she unsheaths it from Viserys uh, and marches across the room uh, to, to take the eye herself, which is a choice. Uh, that Rhaenyra steps in and they have their, you know, their realist conversation that they've had in a decade, probably, where she says, I've been doing what was expected of me this whole time. I've been upholding the kingdom, upholding the family, obeying the law, and you do whatever you want. Uh, and Rhaenyra says, exhausting, isn't it? Hiding under the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you really are. Uh, and then the blood spills out onto yeah. the ground. And so- we are officially, we've gone too far. The who that Alicent really is, that Rhaenyra is getting at, is that, well, either it's one of two things or both, I guess, maybe. Like, one, like, Rhaenyra is referring to, you went behind my back and married my fucking dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's a, pri- that's a primal anger at toward Alicent. But yeah. also, do you think that's her saying, like, I know you had Harwin killed? Um, I think... <laughs> She's going to she's going to say to Damon later on. Right. Or she said it to him earlier, I suppose. It was in that conversation on the beach. Right. Uh, Where it's like, I don't think that she's capable of cold blooded murder. Right. But maybe in this moment, seeing her in this way, maybe she's rethinking that. That's interesting. I think a lot of it, though, is also like to some extent, I don't know how much she knows that Allison knows about what happened between her and Kristen Cole. Maybe she can guess. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know where that was there a conversation there in the past 10 years. There also must be, from Rhaenyra's perspective, something of a suddenness to how horribly their relationship fell apart so quickly. Um, so I think that there's a lot of a lot of rage there uh, too, and like she's been suffering a lot of slights from the queen, having to do that own you know her own walk of shame of sorts in uh, the start of episode six. Um, so. In any case, any pretense of any semblance of, you know, redemptive, restorative qualities of repairing the relationship, it seems like that's done. Uh, it seems like that is not really a, a, a thing that's going to occur. And I think it's, it's, really, it's really telling for the show that Aemond, of all people, is the one who de-escalates the situation. He's the one who says, it's all right, mother, let it go. It was a fair exchange. I may have lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. And that's yeah. it. That's the mic drop. Yeah, here's here's this coolly calculating kid, you know, who is just like, eh, ma, it's it it's a this is a battle, not the war. Like, let's let's regroup. We won today. It's fine. We, won, yeah. we did. Yeah. Like, the, and also like, I think in his mind view, his mindset, he's like, this is kind of like makes me tougher and more badass, and like you know, like he 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 likes what this kind of um this whole incident has sort of brought to his his profile, you know, in, yeah. in a way, um, which is best um, night of his life. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. And um yeah. yeah, so I guess we're gonna start to see these kids really asserting themselves more and more uh, you know, as the season and next season goes. I think that's fair to say. Um Otto is going to have a moment alone with Alicent. Uh and Alicent in in you know uh in in her private moment with her father is going to express some remorse over what happened, but Otto's like, No, that was great. That was great. Uh, yeah. was the, I, I really didn't think you had it in you. I really didn't. Uh, you do. And now if we just hold tight, we can win this thing. Uh, did you see what your son did? He got us Vagar a thousand yeah. times the price he paid. Um, so Otto, he, you know, he's been gone from the action for a minute here, Richard, but he really hasn't missed a day. No, no. And, you know, and it's interesting because I think that Allison's contrition is is real you know I think she's like oh my god what did I do like that was way too much and you know there is a little bit of a tv writing convention where he's like that was the dumbest most rash thing and I loved it you know like that kind of like that turn (laughs) is a very familiar trope but like it works here because he's like 
he sees a moment, you know, like kind of Rainus or Damon even of like, is maybe, has maybe Allison exhausted herself? You know, is yeah. this it? Um, and he's like, no, 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 you're, you're still in it. You're still in it. You're still in it. You're in it more than I thought you were. Um, and now here I'm going to reveal to you that I wasn't just trying to ha- have us be close to power. I'm trying to get us into full power, you know, yeah. and, um, and, you know, now, like now that you're a grown up and, and you're, you're capable of this kind of thing, I'm going to let you in on the fullness of this plan, um, which, you know, she seems receptive to in some ways. Yeah. Um, I really thought that this was such a good episode for Olivia Cook, who uh, I know has been in so many things. She's been mostly off of my radar, honestly. Uh, and I've really loved getting to know her through the role of Allison. We had more feedback about her specifically. This was from Sean, uh, who has been such a fan of Olivia Cook. Uh, Sean said she definitely has the ability to command the screen. I'm hoping this really propels her into becoming more known by American audiences. The casting definitely signals to me that the grown-up Allison is going to be formidable and honestly more engaging. I may even end up rooting for her. Um, I felt like this was a really big breakout episode for the Queen, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Allison is definitely the kind of Survivor contestant I tend to root for. Mm-hmm. The, the woman who, like, people count out, but it has a secret medal and wields it when it's important. And, yeah, uh, so I... And Olivia Cook is great. Um, if people listening haven't watched a movie called Thoroughbreds that she's in with Anya Taylor-Joy from, I don't know, five years ago, maybe? Um, seek that out. She's, that's the first thing that I saw her in where I was like, whoa, this this actor is, like, really going to be big. And um, she's, yeah, she's great in this episode. Great, great tip. Um, Lainor is going to come to Rhaenyra. Uh, and Lainor, who has missed all of this he was away he was you know who knows where he was uh overnight when all of this happened but he's being caught up on everything that happened rainier's like aemon called our sons bastards openly uh and lanor who's been beating in front of the whole school (laughs) in front of the whole school yeah right on stage uh at the talent show uh lanor is is like i i have i have done a lot in my time i i i fought war i fought dreadful enemies i i couldn't defend my sister I couldn't defend you. I couldn't defend our kids. Um, and sh- he does mention this line that, that you alluded to earlier, es- you know, essentially that duty and happiness cannot coexist. They cannot mutually exist. Uh, that uh, he, he says, I hate the way the gods made me. And Rhaenyra says, I, I love the way that gods made you. You're an honorable man with a good heart. And he she's says, so progressive. well, <laughs> she, she's in. She's all the way in. Yeah. And he says, I don't know. I don't know about any of that. I think I really just need to recommit myself to you. I think I need to, you know, completely shave off any possibility of being happy despite our arrangement. I don't think I can do the two things at the same time. You deserve better than me. You deserve a husband. And this lands with her. And I think lands with her in a way that makes a little more sense once we see the very end of the episode. She's like, you're right. You know what? You should be happy and I should have a husband. So why don't you go on vacation? Let's go about solving that in a very unexpected way. Yeah, I think for her, like she's really like, well, happiness is definitely not on the table for me. Uh, You know, I'm long past happiness. Right. Uh, Right. That's like how how Rainey's had given up on ever being the queen of Westeros. Like I gave up on happiness years ago. Uh, You could still have a happy life. Uh, And if I'm going to stay in this like bitter pit, like I need somebody who's going to fight it out with me. Uh, So. She's ready to make that choice. And make it she does. Indeed she does. Uh, so the end of the episode is really focusing a lot on that. There's a little more business with Allison. She you know, tries to make up with Viserys. Viserys is just even too tired to have the conversation again. So apology accepted is sort of the vibe. Um, she's also going to have a moment with Laris when she's alone on the ship. 
finally, he gets his opening to have a conversation with her. And she basically says, not now, definitely later. Uh, and he's like, good enough for me. Yeah. That's great. So Don't go we, skulking around taking a kid's eye. Let's, let's, let's hold you off until I really need it. Um, yeah, we which, don't need you know. the eye, but we're going to need an eye equivalent. Like uh, an eye adjacent move is, is definitely on the way. Uh, so dangerous ally in Allison's corner for sure. It does seem like she was scandalized by it at the end of last week's episode, Richard, but maybe now she's seeing the value in what Laris did. I think she is, but also I think she's scared of him and uh, she's basically like, oh, no, no, we're still we're allied. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You know, like, I'm just I'm just going to we're going to play the slow game. You know, I think she's just kind of trying to keep him satisfied or, or contented uh, to some extent until she figures out what to do about him. You know, yeah, that's a good read. Um, Rainier and Damon have this final moment together as they're watching the greens sail off uh, and Rhaenyra is going to talk about how um, I cannot face the Greens alone. I need you, uncle. Let us bind our blood just as Aegon the Conqueror did with his sisters. With you as my husband and prince consort, my claim would not be so easily challenged. And she's talking about how the Valerians are of the sea, but we are made of fire and we have always been meant to burn together. And Damon's like, oh, wow, I'm awake now. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of her saying... Like, I have fully bought into this cult of, of Targaryen stuff, you know, so like, let's just do it. You know, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, and I think even in a, the, you know, I, I think there probably is a moment, however brief, where he's like, oh, she really wants me to kill her husband. Right. You know, and he's like, so she really means it. But then obviously there's a turn somewhere that we don't see happen where she's it, like, let, let's let's stage this thing. Um, but yeah, I think that basically she proves her commitment to, you know, this whole thing and um, that's enough for him. And he's like, well, actually, maybe I am back in it. There's this there's this thing that she says about, um, you know, the difference between the fire and the sea. Fire is a prison. The sea offers an escape. Uh, so I think that it, it does speak to this feeling of resignation that she has. where she's like, I'm in the fire. I cannot get out of the fire. I am fire. So I am locked in. Um, Lenor is not. Lenor can leave. He can flee. And I think that when you when you go back and you watch this final sequence and you know where it's actually ending, that this this setup of Damon saying we can't get married unless Lenor is dead, and Rainier very chillingly says, "Oh, I know." Yeah. Uh, and my jaw was on the ground at this point of I I can't believe that they're going to have Rainier be the one who does this. Um, but instead, she's you know arranging this situation for for Lenor to leave. Which is not without, you know, issue uh, in its in its own right. It doesn't seem like Lenor's parents are no. in on the plot. No, no, uh, no. So that's tough. Yeah, I think that she that was like the hard the hard calculation. She was like, so they're going to be devastated, but everyone else will be okay. You know, um, do we know whose body that was? Random uh, guard number seven. I don't know. We we oh, see right. the guy we he see kills. Damon, right. Yeah, That's Damon right. Solid okay. Snake's one guy. Uh, right. So it's it's that person. But we don't. Okay. I don't you know, just a random person. Happy ending for everybody in this episode uh, on the Valerian side of the line, except for Lanor's parents and that guy. Yeah. Uh, they they really <laughs> right. did not make out so well. But Lanor, we're we're thrilled to see it. Um, but I think her, her, her dialogue with Damon makes a lot of sense when you, when you know what's actually coming, uh, uh, a quick death, one with witnesses, um, everyone will whisper that we were somehow responsible, let them whisper, we'll know the truth of it and our enemies won't, and they will fear what else we might be capable of. Right. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's really open once you, uh, once you know where the ending is going 
And I do think that, you know, some of the way in which it played, I'm I'm really glad that it ultimately does end up the way that it does that Lenor and Carl escape together. Because if it had been going the traditional route of the book, where Carl kills Lenor, at least according to the historical text, it's still open to interpretation. So I think this is still totally fine within canon. Um, it would have played very fast for me. It would have played very rushed. It would have been honestly a little cheesy, I think. And it still is kind of cheesy with the you've always looked down on me and the little sword play in front of the one witness who runs off to go and get the people. Um, but like it, it fits well cause it's play acting, you know, right. it, it is, right. it is a show. Yeah. These are show Queens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's great. But, yeah. Uh, but I think also there is a, that I'm, I like the, you know, the, the final thing of them in the rowboat and you could almost see on Lenor's face a, a little trick, you know, glimmer of that, last scene in the graduate where they're like okay we ran away together now what you know now so yeah. i'm curious if Lenor will ever come back or if that's you know um we're just gonna have to kind of hope that he and carl uh don't get where they're going and are like actually i don't like you that much <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i don't know it's it's interesting i'm not sure i'm not sure where they're gonna go i think that there is definitely uh, there's definitely a path to bring him back onto the show and Carl as well. There are some characters from deeper into the book that I think that you could imagine uh, these characters coming and taking their place. I think that Lenor and Carl could could exist where certain characters exist deeper in the narrative. Um, but I also kind of just hope that somebody, somebody, I used to say this about 24 all the time. You don't have to kill off everybody who you couldn't sign a contract with. Just let them leave. You know, they can clock out for the day. You don't have to stab them in the chest with a hypodermic needle. Just let them live their lives. Uh, And I hope that Lainor and Carl kind of just get to live their lives. But this is Game of Thrones, and they're probably going to come back in some sort of deadly, dangerous way. Or HBO could do a spinoff of, like, Lainor and Carl, you know, sort of queer as folk-esque, you know, in the free cities. You know, I would watch that. Interestingly, there is the Sea Snake show that is being developed. Uh, Could it be? Uh, You know, secretly, it's a Lainor project. Well, I think also the big question at toward the end of this episode is like, you know, what is going to happen with the sea snake and Rainus now? You know, like right. where does this put them? Um, especially because they were aligned with Damon, but now they're kind of not. I mean, I, I, if he married her, uh, Rhaenyra, I, you know, I don't. It, it's interesting to think about like where they kind of factor into this now, um, because they're they're two big characters to not like see further than this moment. I think right. Sure, you would think so. Um, I'll be really interested to see what their immediate reaction to this is as well. Um, this is, you know, total uncharted territory for me, which I love. I think it's great. And next week's episode is called The Lord of the Tides. So you mm. assume that we are not quite done with the drift mark of it all. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I expect much more with the sea snake. Before we totally close out, did you have any thoughts about Rhaenyra and Damon's wedding? Uh, interesting traditions on display here for this Targaryen wedding. Yeah, they're putting blood on each other, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah, and, and cut the, cut their lips with dragon glass. It looks like, and and the kids are there, the boys. Yes, um, yes. and Damon's daughters are there too. And Damon's daughters are there, and and yeah. So all the so all the so the, so this isn't like a secret secret wedding, obviously. Um, but I just I couldn't really tell. Like, is Viserys aware this is happening? Like, like I guess we'll find out next week. But like, um. Again, with the sort of brazen thing, I think they just don't care anymore. Yeah. Well, I think that a big part of this, too, is like, if we're making this move, part of it has to be the boldness, right? Like, part of it has to be some sort of, like, reputational come at me, you know? Like, uh, 
try and cross us, see what happens. Right. I think some of that energy has to exude from this moment. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's very much where their mindsets are. It's not this secret wedding. Uh, it is, you know, a closed ceremony, but I think the news will travel and I think they want it to travel. I think they want yeah. it to travel far and wide and spread like wildfire. They made it to the merge and they want everyone to know they have the hidden immunity idol. Richard, you know. at any point that you want to talk about uh, Game of Thrones and like play out a survivor simulated season of Game of Thrones, this would not be my first rodeo. So you just let me know. I think that's a good idea. We should do it. Just knock on my door. Been yeah. there, done that. We'll happily do it again. But I think that's going to do it for us on Still Watching this week. That's episode seven, Driftmark in the books. Next week is Lord of the Tides, episode eight. Not quite yet up to what we assume will be a legendary penultimate episode of a season of Game of Thrones, Richard, but damn near close. The anti-penultimate. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we're, we're heading toward big things. Um, and I don't genuinely don't know what those things are. So I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Uh, we want to hear from all of you out there. Still watching pod at gmail.com. That's our email address. What did you think of the big Lanor twist? What do you think about the greens having the dragon? Aemon has claimed Vagar. We want to know what your predictions are for the rest of the season. So please write in stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Richard, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Uh, Twitter, I'm on Rylaws, uh, and then I'm just writing reviews and stuff on VF.com. So keep an eye out for it. Amazing. I'm at Round Howard. I am recapping House of the Dragon here on VF.com every single week, including next week for episode eight. Before we close out, a huge shout out to Dave Gonzalez, without whom this podcast is not possible and without whom I cannot imagine either of us would stand a chance at claiming a dragon the size of Vagar. But I think with Dave on our side, we might have a shot. I really would not be able to contribute much to the equation, Richard. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I would cheer from the sidelines. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So it's really on Dave. All right, <laughs> yeah, folks, yeah. we'll be back next week with more still watching. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. From PR.